and welcome to episode 53 of the Radical English Gentleman podcast. Today is a new year, so happy new year to anyone who's listening. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Today we have Peter Jacobs and I thought this was quite a treat to have him back on the show because it was this time 52 weeks ago where we had him for the first ever episode and boy has it been a journey. We've interviewed doctors, we've interviewed medics, we've interviewed you know, economists, we've interviewed kind of politicians, libertarians, conservatives, socialists, Lib Dems, all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different ages from 56-year-olds to, you know, 16-year-olds. We've, we've had it all. So thanks for being part of the journey. <laughs> um, but today we are joined by Peter Jacobs. So how's it going? Yeah, I'm a bit bung. I feel like I've been strong-armed into this a bit. <laughs> um but nonetheless, it's a, it's a pleasure to see how the Radical English Gentleman podcast has um, developed over time. The uh, quote-unquote calibre of guests that uh, Roy's been able to attract. Yeah, it's good to see that, you know, the project didn't fall flat on its face after a week or two. <laughs> Fair play for that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, like, onwards and upwards, you know, this is what I want to do. So thanks for listening. It means a lot. But enough of the nonsense, which you don't want to hear if you're a new listener. The, anyway, just a bit of context. This is a libertarian podcast where you talk about real issues with real people and have real conversations. So thank you so much for being here. But today we're going to jump into the first story, talking about the Greta Thunberg, Andrew Tate beef, which is quite ironic because there's a lot of shit going on in the world. We're talking about two little people spatting online. But do you want to hit it off, Pia? Because you were the one who actually told me about the story because I lived under a rock and I didn't see this. <laughs> yeah, well, this story only recently surfaced. I saw it on Twitter earlier. Um, I suppose it's of interest because Greta Thunberg and Andrew Tate just live in completely different worlds. Um, and, you know, through Twitter, which I guess Andrew Tate has been reinstated to yeah. since musk took over gained i think two million followers since. well like through that medium you know they're able to have this interaction so what happened uh andrew tate uh tweeted greta thunberg um you know bragging about all the cars he has um specifically bugattis he said i have 33 cars my bugatti has a <laughs> w16 8 liters quad turbo my two ferrari 812 Competizioni have 6.5 litres V12s. This is just the start. Please provide your email address so I can send a complete list of my car collection and their respective enormous emissions. She responded <laughs> quite humorously from my perspective saying, yes, please do enlighten me. Email me at smalldickenergy at getalife.com. <laughs> he responded to that saying, how dare you? <laughs> but like, yeah, she's, I mean... Look, just on an optical level, she's clearly won out in that spat because Andrew Tate was just stirring the pot. I mean, unprovoked, <laughs> uh, you know, not something he needed to do. He just decided, you know what, I'm going to try and piss off Greta Thunberg. But um, she she won out in that dispute because she's quite a class act, in my opinion, and, and she knows how to handle big ego types like Andrew Tate and get under their skin. Um. So yeah, it's it's an interesting interaction because, um, it, you know, it, it's an interaction that just wouldn't happen without Twitter, 
and it's an interaction between two people who yeah are in different worlds you know Greta Thunberg is <clears throat> is a climate activist probably the most famous climate activist you know at least of the last 10 years um and you know she's made her name by just being a sort of relentless advocate for uh politicians in particular taking more um bold approaches to um efforts at climate mitigation adaptation but she does say like well she's definitely done some good work she does also say some things that i think are quite ridiculous like she'll say things like we should stop all fossil fuels overnight but you know if that happened there'd be about 10 million dead overnight just simply because of pharmaceuticals um so i think you know is important not to be over hyperbolic in what you're talking about when it comes to Greta she doesn't even think carefully about what she actually is saying um and the implications of what she's saying um which I think is key I mean I haven't seen her calling for abolition of fossil fuels overnight but that seems like something she would say yeah but it's not her job to um come up with the you know, particularly detailed policy prescription. It's I think her, it is. When no, it's not. It's it's actually her job, I think, to push the dial, move the dial on issues. You know, give more oxygen to the. Um, I think that's a cop the out. Green movement. Really. No, it's not. Well, it's like me being radical about something, saying, "Oh, well, the re- only reason no, I was doing no. it is to push the pendulum." Okay, that doesn't. I'm not. I'm not saying <coughs> there's no role for her to uh, play in terms of policy development. I'm saying that that's not her primary role. Um, cl- I mean, clearly she has um, contributed to the policy space. She she's written a few books. She, she's got one that that just came out. Um, and it should also be borne in mind that she's only young and like True. she's still developing in her knowledge. So, you know, her ability to come up with detailed policy prescriptions is is limited by age and stage and education as well. Um, but but she certainly knows more than me. <laughs> but, but yeah. Um, because it would be interesting to ask her directly, you know, what do you actually want to happen? Do you want us to... Because it, like, it is factually true, since pe- the access of fossil fuels, the um, economic prosperity has skyrocketed, if you look at the chart, um, completely... Um, and, you know, there is a line between rights, freedoms, and also at what point is taking away someone's rights justified to save the planet? And and the question that I'm currently investigating is, are we in an emergency? That's the question. That's why I'm, I have zero opinion right now on the climate issue, which I know for a lot of people will piss people off because, you know, the world's burning. And to other people, it will be like, have you looked at, I don't know, the the actual science or have you looked at the UN data about what's actually going to happen and how much it will generally actually affect us and also what the implications of uh, regulation and using green energy like is it generally more efficient because I've heard arguments on either side I've heard arguments saying wind energy is not five times cheaper than gas that study was based upon when gas was at its highest price and that's how they said that wind energy is way cheaper because they use gas highest price to argue against it so there are things either side maybe i'm talking out my ass maybe i'm not but that's for me to figure out so moving on to the next story we have the nurses strike that's happening in the uk 
which is major. So why are nurses and ambulance staffs taking industrial action? It's because of the cost of lockdown crisis. <laughs> Love to put that in there. Um, and also cost of, you know, there are definitely implications of what Putin did. But let's let's get real here. Um, there is a major part and, of and implications of um, 12 years of Tory rule, I would argue, you know. Um, what, what, austerity? Yeah, austerity in particular. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I do think austerity was a political decision uh, in 2010. You know, clearly the public finances were in a state, but um, what a lot of very senior economists have argued is that, you know, in that in that moment, what was required was a Keynesian approach to um, fiscal management um, to to boost aggregate demand by uh, by stimulating cash flow with more investment. Um, but what the government decided to do was to um, you know have have sweeping cuts um, across across most public sectors. Some some like the NHS and education, I think, were were ring fenced. Um, but the product of the, this uh, this austerity decision was that yeah UK growth has been has been very slow. Um, UK, I mean, <laughs> I'm borrowing this quote directly from Owen Jones, but you know, biggest squeeze on living standards since the Napoleonic era. Wait, have I got that exactly right? But but kind of um, yeah, living standards have not been increasing in the UK for some time so yeah just to push back against the narrative that you know the only reason for um, the nurses striking is the 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 effect of lockdowns um I didn't say as well as well as Putin he said as well as Putin but he he didn't really want to talk about true true the the economic decisions that were made prior to the pandemic I guess for me a a big part of it is what I've actually experienced in my lifetime that's had well not in my lifetime but since I've been super politically engaged and one major thing is the thing that no one wants to talk about and it's lockdown. Well, apart from you and everyone in your community who seems everyone. to talk about it a lot. Oh, really? Is that why I listen everyone to in, Everyone in your community, LBC, yeah. Ev- well, no, they're not in your community. I'm not saying you don't listen to them. You right. do, but your community of like lockdown skeptics. Oh, just make scared. This is not medical advice. This is not medical advice. Do not take this as medical advice. Talk to your own personal doctor. Go to gov.uk. Go to the NHS website. Go to World Health Organization's website. Link's description. This is not medical advice. Do you um, add that caveat to every episode? I've, like, I can't risk it these days. Like, <laughs> I literally cite like one of the top people at Harvard, and they're like, "This is misinformation," or I'll, um, one of the pioneers of something, and then. Oh, this is misinformation. I'll talk to a doctor who's worked for 20 years at the front line. This is inf- misinformation. Well, so, sounds like he's got an axe to grind there. Axe to grind. i got a fucking... Someone a punch. <laughs> right, no, right, I don't endorse violence. Well, I think, you know, punching someone's probably better than grinding your axe. What's yeah. It, what does it actually mean to grind your axe? I think it's getting ready to kill someone. So it's like... Is it like sharpening your axe? Yeah. Okay, so sharpening your axe suggests you probably will yeah, I mean, at I, least chop some wood. Yeah, at a certain point... Like, you know, you, violence does need to be used, you know, to maintain people's rights. But it was never at the stage, but we were going down a very dark road. And when you look at what Australia happened, shooting their own citizens, arresting people, like the one of the biggest human rights abuses in a liberal democracy I've seen in my lifetime. Um, but yeah, no one talks about that. And also another thing, you know, we talk about... We talk... Well, yeah. We talk okay, about, look, I get... Yeah, just... 
it's a bit painful when someone says no one talks about something as they're talking about it. You know, right? Like, no like, one. Is, I no, get, I no get one why you're where, saying that. Where our taxpayer money is actually funding. Well, you're, you're, so you're ragging on the BBC. That's obviously, what you're doing. obviously. I'll, I'll, I'll support the BBC when they actually talk about, they, they go out of 0.1 millimetre echo chamber. The thing is, the BBC as a public, you can't publicly, as a publicly funded broadcaster has uh, a form of public uh, or civic duty that other channels don't have. Um, so in the sense that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're the most trusted broadcaster of any, of any UK channel. To you, there's a, okay. lot, there's no, a that's growing true. Yeah, population okay. of people who think yeah, the but BBC my point, my point is, I think they have less wiggle room when it comes to exploring more um, colourful topics on, on the matter of COVID. I think they have a, there's a kind of public safety element to BBC that, that you wouldn't have from a corporate channel, right? And so... I don't think they want to encourage people in any way, in any way be seen to encourage people, say, to not take the vaccine. Right. Stuff like that. But the question is that the whole point of the BBC, show both sides, show debate. Perfect example, the other week, they done a 45 to an hour segment on the care home crisis, yet they missed out, hmm, I don't know, 40,000 care home workers who lost their jobs. Why was that? Why was that? Oh, yeah, it's because the same policies that you pushed are now affecting the crisis and can i also talk when people when i hear le labor and lefties talk about the nhs crisis the amount of people i've spoke to in the nhs who tell me we're not we're not letting patients leave the hospital we have beds where people are better we don't withdraw their patients why because there's nowhere for them to go to and what was the ripple effect of forty thousand care home workers is ripple effect not only to the care home sector that's in absolute turmoil it's also affected the nhs so I'm at another crossroads where I hear lefties talking about resolutions saying at chess when they're not even addressing the fucking problems, how they got there in some respects. And that's not to say there weren't problems before. There were obviously, there were, the NHS has been internal for ages, but to act like what their decisions, the decisions that they pushed, the decisions they pressured the government to do had no repercussions on the, what they're talking about now. Like, Labour will sing and dance about the NHS, how terminal it is, but they won't even address some of the problems, how they got there. So, for me, I'm at a crossroads. I've got people who talk about problems that when they made the problems and they don't even address how they got there. That's that's a big issue for me. All right, I'll just clap so I can cut this out. Um. Oh yeah. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Not sure I followed you entirely. So the, I guess the pro the point I'm making is my trust in people who made people people who made the problems are now the people talking about the solutions to the problems that they literally made, but they're not even accepting they made the problems. I haven't once. And this is a great critique by Rishi Sunak in Parliament the other day in PMQs with Keir Starmer. He said to he said to um, Keir Starmer, well, if, if we were under your watch, the economy would be even worse. <laughs> and I was just like, and you see Keir Starmer, he, he couldn't actually address it. He had to go back to the original question he asked, which was actually quite a good question. But he, he can't come out and say, well, no, I wasn't. 
Because the truth is, if we had Keir Starmer now, it wouldn't be costing 5,500 to every UK citizen, man and woman, according to the National Audit Office. It'd be costing 10,000 because he wanted us to be like China, let's face it. So, again, the people who made the fucking problems are the people talking about the solutions and they're not even talking about how they got there in the first place. Yeah, but, I mean, look, it's true that um, at the moment when uh, the Tories took the UK out of lockdown, Labour opposed that. And um, that is a political um, you know, point of weakness for Starmer because he he just can't really come through with a, a solid take on that issue. Like, he, he can't say, no, I actually think we should have stayed in lockdown because it'll sound ridiculous. So he just doesn't address it. But the fact that he, the fact that Labour didn't support us leaving lockdown when we did, that didn't cause the problems in the NHS. So you're, you're attributing causality where it doesn't really exist. But I hope that was clear. Yeah. But if, um, you know, on the topic of Sunak, let's let's cover a little bit of uh, controversy that Sunak found himself in. Interesting story. The other day. So Christmas Eve, I'm reading a Reuters article. Do you want to play the video of the audio? Just whack up the volume and okay. bring it to your mic as close as you can. Well, that is exactly what I'm trying to do. Exactly what I'm trying to do. Um, there's the business. What, what, do you have a, do you, do you work in the business? Do you want some no, fruit? I'm, I'm homeless. This this issue did capture my attention uh, because it expressed in a nutshell what I tend to find um, distasteful and at times sort of upsetting about British political discourse. You know, what we have here is, yeah, the Prime Minister of, of Great Britain, Rishi Sunak, in a homeless shelter, um, yeah, giving all the English breakfast to someone. Um, you know, engaging in a bit of small talk, um, you know, asking questions. He says, are you in business? Um, the guy responds and says, well, no, I'm homeless. And it seemed like he was a bit sarky in his response there. Sorry. It seemed like he was a bit sarky in his response there, the homeless guy. But then he went on and he, he sort of mentioned a bit about, uh, he, he mentioned something about like maybe working in something to do with finance at one point. Um, and then Rishi sort of entertains this idea and says, oh yeah, I used to work in finance. You know, I did lots of different things. Um, and then he asks him like, would you like to get into that in the future? And then the guy's like, well, oh, no, I don't know. You know, I'm just looking to get through Christmas. Uh, and then and then the Prime Minister asks him about, you know, what advice he's getting from uh, the homeless charities he's interacting with. So to me, Oh, there's a bottom line here, which is that, like, you know, Rishi Sunak is in this homeless shelter because this is good PR. You know, for any uh, political party leader to be in a homeless shelter giving out food, 
um, you know, it's done by people of all parties because it's just, it's a way of signaling that like, you know, you're a man of the people, you've got time for everyone. It, it, you know, it probably in a way comes from um, the Bible story of Jesus uh, washing the feet of his own disciples. It's the same kind of value basis. It's like, even though I'm the top dog in the land, I can still stand here in a homeless shelter and give out food. Mm. So it's, it's a PR exercise and that's the cynical way to look at it. But the reason I think <clears throat> um, Sunak got a harsh appraisal from the likes of Angela Rayner and people on the left is that like I think what he did in that interaction was he tried to engage the guy um in some you know in as close to a real discourse as they c- could have have I think I think Sunak is out of touch inherently because he's a he's like a multi multi nearly billionaire yeah nearly yeah. billionaire so he's inherently out of touch but you know him asking the guy if he's in business that opened the door to um, a conversation about the aspiration that this homeless guy had. So actually what the conversation allowed for was the giving, humanization. Of, the giving of dignity. Yeah, yeah, humanization. Um, you know, uh, Sunak could have just had even more meaningless small talk and like spoken about how great the charity was and he could he could have like started speaking about how nice the food was or something like that but he actually wanted to engage with the guy on a on a career level now of course that that guy is struggling he'll probably continue to struggle um but he'll remember that he'll remember the moment when you know the prime minister actually humored him and and sort of you know made him think that maybe one day he could work in finance um and like People on the left, you know, I mean, Angela Rayner described it as excruciating. I just think that's just, that's more out of touch from her to, to make that comment. I, that wasn't an excruciating interaction. It was, it was um, a tad awkward at times, but um, by and large, it was pretty, pretty fluid and organic. Um, and the, the, the reason I, I find this so distasteful is that people on the left, are intent to, um, you know, uh, put the Tories into the poor hating box whenever they can to 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 send the signal to the British public that Tories are so out of touch and that like. All right, sure about that. We had <coughs> some technical difficulties. It just randomly cut off, but shoot. So what? Yeah, what's annoying about this interaction between this homeless guy and Sunak is that. Yeah, leading Labour figures attack Sunak now in a disingenuous way. Like, I think there are valuable and interesting policy critiques that you can make of this Tory government, Um, you know, relating to austerity, cost of living crisis, Brexit, um, refugees, um, maybe education. I'm just throwing out buzzwords now. Stop. (laughs) But um, what's what's kind of less cool to do in my in my mind is to like zoom in on this interaction between the prime minister and a random homeless guy and and say that oh look at this excruciating interaction isn't the prime minister out of touch like I just I just from my experience you know from my perspective I don't think the homeless guy takes offence at those questions I think he appreciates it and I think maybe he remembers it and maybe he even 
holds on to it, like, when he's feeling a bit shit, maybe it gives him some hope. I hope, maybe that sounds like a really patronising thing for no, me, it doesn't, me to say. Because if you flip it on its head, let's say Sunak said, oh, I must be terrible to be on the street to do this, that would come across as like, you know, this guy is nearly worth a billion and he's seriously going to try and stoop down to act yeah, relatable. Yeah, like, like Rishi Sunak so. can't imagine what's it like to be homeless. what could he have said? Because like, even, like, you know, yeah. he, um, you know, he went to like, one of, one of the most expensive private schools when he was younger. Like, so he's had a life of luxury himself. So he can't be like, oh yeah, you know, it's rough when you're sat outside Waitrose and people walk past you. He can't do that. <laughs> but he has worked in finance. He does know about, you know, the world of business and finance. So like he can somehow, you know, try and share that insight with this homeless guy. Maybe it comes across as a bit crude, yeah, I think it's a little bit awkward, but I think those interactions are always a little bit awkward. Um, I guess the bottom line is, you know, by all means criticise the Tories, by all means criticise Sunak, but pick your battles. This is not a battle worth picking. I don't think it shows good Christmas spirit to attack Sunak, like, for this issue. I think it's just ugly politics. Yeah, I agree with that. And I was one fell victim to, to the mob, in my view on it. And I didn't... I was like, oh, this is tragic. But then... I, you, what you said got me thinking, you know, what could he have actually said to not get criticised when he's this almost billionaire and he's a prime minister? There's very little he could have actually done to not get massive backlash. And that's a key thing, I think, when you think about policies and what people actually do. What could they have done for you not to react like this? And yeah. if you can't think of anything, then chances are you're chatting out your ass. But thanks so much for this. And we're going to be moving on to the next segment, well, the final segment, which is just talking about New Year's. So, Pia, I've got to ask you, what, what are your goals for 2023? Yeah. Um, well, okay, on the one hand, in recent years, I've become sceptical of New Year's resolutions right. because, you know, a few years ago, I made a New Year's resolution. I'll read a book every week, and it lasted for, like, four weeks, which is still pretty good. Right. read four books. Decent. That's, I'm surprised that didn't carry on because 28 days of the threshold for a routine. So. Yeah. But it's it was a practicality thing because like, yeah, I I just had to read like I don't know like fifty five pages a day. Some days you can make that. Some days it's just not possible. I mean, like, anything's possible. Maybe I could have continued it anyway. <laughs> uh, the point is, I become a bit skeptical of New Year's resolutions. Also because I believe, you know, I think <clears throat> everyone has a few moments in the year where like they find the point of recharge or le- renewal like the year it's not a straight line upwards it's like you have your ups and downs and when and when you're in the down moment it takes something unique to to recharge you and get you back on your feet and that's kind of like a new year's resolution but it comes it probably it comes in like april or may or, or whenever all that being said <clears throat> um you know the new year for me personally does bring a chance for um you know, some quite particular goal setting because I'm starting my law studies in January and starting a nine-month law conversion course. And that's a long time coming, isn't it? It's a long time coming. I've been, I've been like talking about this for at least four years. Fuck it out. Could could be four and a half, could be five. No pressure. Um, So now I'm actually going into it. Yeah, it's, I suppose like, it's the culmination of a lot of thought and effort and, 
um, strategy. And, you know, there's a chance that, like, it doesn't work out for me in the law, that I'm not very good at it, that, like, um, I don't enjoy it, or, or something else perks my interest. That's a bit scary when you actually get to the point where you're really testing your career ambitions. Like, it's a bit scary because, um, if, if you test your career ambitions and they don't work out as you expected, then you have to find an alternative, you know? Um, yeah, look, I'm meandering a bit here. I don't, I don't want to dwell too much on the intricacies of my law journey. But what, I, what, I, what I'm looking to do this year, so I'm looking to be, like, diligent with my studies. Now, what that means in practice. So, um, the thing about academic study is in my experience is that you can always find ways to get by and like make par without giving it your absolute all um like there's a kind of academic language you can write an essay with a certain structure you can say all the key things and you'll you'll like get through and maybe you'll get like a decent grade but like to get those top grades it's about having a kind of like refined and deeper understanding of of the information you're dealing with. So when I say be diligent with my studies, I mean like I want to <clears throat> handle the topics that I'm encountering with, with, with some care, like really, really do my best to comprehend the concepts I'm looking at, you know, be creative in my, in my study style. And um, yeah, j- just, just, I think part of what it means to be grateful for for having an education is really giving it your all. Um, not everyone has the chance to learn the law of England and Wales, you know. Mm. It's quite a privilege. And so so so, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. I want to I want to learn the law as best I can. So that that's a big aim for this year. Um on a sort of on a language learning front, you know, my, my ambition long term is to work in international law and uh, it's become clear to me in the last, you know, year and a half that uh, one thing I could do to really boost those chances would be to uh, learn French. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna find a way to have some French cooking over in my routine. Um, London is, you know, of course London's part of the UK but it's a very... Um, busy place busy international environment so you know I'll be seeking out German speaking communities because I speak a bit of German and I'll be spe- seeking out French c- communities to, to develop my French so th- those are two two kind of goals I have um, I guess on a more personal level I you know I'm coming to the end of my masters um, I feel like it's been a big journey for me um, I do feel ready to start to share my story with someone a bit more to to have a partner, partner in crime, find love. Yeah, I would love to find love. Um, because yeah, you know, thankfully I have reached a point of peace in my life where I'm not plagued with the kind of social anxiety I had for years. I've overcome largely the kind of depression I've suffered the last year and a half. So I feel ready to like 
enter into unison with someone and encounter someone quite deeply in in a relationship form you know I, I, that would be that would be a brilliant thing so so i i would like to make that happen somehow um and go forward together i think that's a good thing yeah. i heard like you want someone who y- you're pushing each other forward it's very simple but like you can't do things without that other person and that person can't do things without you in the sense of progressing so you're that depends on well, not in an unhealthy way, obviously. Mm. You want to be independent, responsible, but someone who enhances your life to the point where you couldn't be the success you are without that other person. Yeah, that is a type of relationship I haven't really experienced where where you really, you actually make big life decisions considering the other person in those decisions, you know. The relationships I've had up to now, it's like two individual actors who decide which parts of their lives they come together in, but actually they're on separate paths. Um, it's a different thing to bring those paths together. Okay, so those are three three goals. Be you know, study diligently, try and learn French, and uh, find true love. Find true love. <laughs> I just want to have a little think if there's something else. Um, if you could pinpoint it down to like an adjective, or whatever, what would it be? Like what? Something else? Well, now as in like what? You know, you know, gratitude, love, uh, success. Like what's kind of well, I know what could encompass all three. Which you're saying? Yeah. Um, I suppose it's a yeah. They're two quite boring D words, but you know, <laughs> diligence and discipline. Those are the words that come to mind. Um that apply to all three of those things. You know, to study well and really understand what you're studying at a good level, you need to focus. You need to say no to distractions. Um, you need to sacrifice, you know, alternative uses of your time. Same applies to French learning or language learning in general because there's no real shortcuts. you just got to do the time. Nitty <laughs> gritty. Yeah, and when it comes to relationships, like the the discipline of relationships is like deciding to show up again and again. I mean, it depends if you're in a long distance or uh, short distance (laughs) relationship. What I mean by showing up is like... uh, Putting work for the other person. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, when you arrange a meeting or a call, you, you show up. But it's also like, yeah, being thoughtful in advance for someone, like thinking how you can love someone. Um what does this person need right now? How can I be the best boyfriend for them right now? Um, And it's also about, you know, being committed to them, you know, when they're in a low moment, when they're not the best version of themselves, you know, are you going to give up on them or are you going to stick by them because you believe in them and you feel that actually they're worth it. The bond you have is, you know, uh, special enough to, to, to fight for even when times are hard. 100%. 100%. Well, that, I think a lot of people find that very insightful stuff really opened up on the Reg podcast. Come on. Love to see. Um, well, my news, New Year resolutions, quite a few things. One, um, I want to really ramp up this podcast. I don't want to be slacking because I felt like towards the end of the last year, I was really slacking. You know, I was doing a bunch of solo episodes. While I do enjoy solo episodes, slacking big time with them. I want to start doing live streams. But isn't it the case that the solo episodes are more 
created by circumstance than choice because true it's just hard to source guests but i feel like sometimes people drop out yeah no it is but i feel like i could be doing a lot more work for it like i need to literally every week i need to message five people i don't like i need to do the work to find those five people coming like oh i can't be asked or i go on my phone fiddle my thumbs go on snapchat i'm really need to sort that out and that's why starting the year uninstalling a bunch of social media while we'll still have to go on it to promote message guests and also have some part of a social life <laughs> um i will i do need to cut a lot of shits out um and that's a little idea just came mm. um in terms of boosting guest reliability because i know you've had some dropouts maybe you could draw up something resembling a kind of guest contract um maybe the circles you move in would 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 not like that but like, but what, what i mean fuck? is like if people uh say sign a document a few weeks in advance saying you know a document where you spell out like um the kind of outlines of what the podcast is going to look like but the thing is and, and, and the then, but also specifies yeah. the date right and the time if they sign it, they're more likely to show up. True. No, that's true. Um, one, it would freak a lot of people out. Yeah, probably really and two, my podcasts are so relevant. So like, for instance, there'll be something on Ukraine. I'll oh, know a Ukrainian person get them on or Kanye will spill a bunch of anti-Semitism. I want to get you on or... Right, so it's so like, it's so current. Yeah. it's it's And it's, it has its pros and cons. Or sometimes I like doing on and off episodes. Like I've done the weed podcast where I just spoke about weed for two hours, the history of weed, like where did the stigma come from, what the side effects of weed compared to alcohol and everything. And, you know, that's actually my most loved podcast I ever did ever. And it's completely random. And I love doing those or like, Roe v. Wade will happen. I'll just do a you know three hour podcast talking about abortion, just really getting the nitty gritty, or or Andrew Tate or feminism or done a lot of them. Uh, so, but, but yeah, I want to ramp this up. I want to make progress. I want to move out. I think that's one goal for mm. sure. Um, I want to have good discipline. I think that's key. Um, so obviously, no second for the podcast. I want to do t- a live stream and a podcast a week. <laughs> start in 2022 um i'm gonna try 2023 so like i think podcast thursday live stream friday get one in talking about the news all sorts and really build a community i want to do a live event i want to meet people i want to another thing in my life i want to do i want to detach from a lot of people um a lot of people in my life who bring nothing to the table at all and i'm completely done with any of that another thing I'm done with it's people <laughs> who aren't kind as corny as it sounds um like because one thing I think I've realized a lot in life so far as my 19 ages um is you know there's a lot of people suffering out there and it's very it's very easy to m- make someone's day you know make someone smile be kind do the basicest thing be grateful for where you are what you're doing and to impact people's life positively you know, let someone go in front of you, give someone your seat, help someone with their bags, tip tip someone. <laughs> you know, little things can make a big fucking difference in someone. Smile at someone, um, speak to someone, treat them like a human being. And that can make such a big difference in someone's lives. But there's a lot of people in my life who I feel like they're the people to make that those people's lives actively worse and push them over the edge. And as depressing as it sounds, I do think about suicide. Not me, per- I'm not suicidal personally, but I think about people trying to kill themselves a lot and you know it does boil down to it if like there's a lot of suffering in the world and if you're not taking that suffering away then what the fuck are you actually doing 
you, like you are a negative asset to a lot of people and I don't want anything to do with you. So I'm cutting a lot of people out of my life. I'm done with the bullshit, done with the passivity. Get the fuck out of here, you can, <laughs> you know. And I've already started making moves on that front and I need to get better and just put a line in the sand saying I'm done. Yeah, so I want to ramp up the podcast. What does that actually look like in practice? So it looks practice not not reaching out to people and giving kindness to people who don't really deserve it. <clears throat> and like asking people or inviting people to things when I don't really value them as a person i think they're actually good yeah i mean i sympathize with a lot of what you said and i've you know we don't need to talk about your your the shambles of your birthday gaff <laughs> <laughs> but um, the thing is the ironic thing people yeah right <laughs> <laughs> and that will be the um, but yeah and i think that's definitely a place for yeah just withdrawing from relationships where that person is not bringing anything to you but also where you feel that you know, you can't learn anything from that person um that you don't actually admire them in any way like yeah. i've also made that call a, a bit more lately because i think i've matured in in knowing the attributes i respect in people more mm. i'm less i'm less willing to like give up my time for just anyone you know it's okay. like yeah, I'm a, a little bit more cutthroat. But the caveat I wanted to inject is that sometimes you've got to make space for the pricks. Like, in the sense that maybe you're the kindest voice in one of their lives. That's like, a good point. Good point. Um, meaning that you are... You bring a different model of living to them, a model that they don't encounter much. You know... And I guess this comes from gratitude. Like, if you have a sense yourself of what led you to become the person you are, and then you know that, you know that that could that could be family, that could be you know the lot of it's you economic position, <laughs> <laughs> economic position you were born into, whatever. If you have a sense of that, then you're able to look at, you know, someone in your life who really wasn't born into anything like that environment. You, you can then sort of understand why why maybe they're just like dead selfish or like you know compl- never ask you anything about your life or like and i'm you know it's 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 a nuanced thing it doesn't mean you have to give all your time to people who just are not nice but i one of my values is that i really try and stick to is just not give up on people even those people you don't like um I think there are moments in life where you can make your tent bigger and you can let those people who don't like that much into the tent because it's actually good for them. Um, and there are moments in life where you have to say, no, I'm keeping the tent this size and I'm just inviting my nearest and dearest. Now, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Definitely will take that on board. But I feel like I've been doing that the whole time. I've been having my yeah. tent fucking, you know, it's got holes in the tent because so many people are coming in. <laughs> now I want to say, shut the fuck up, put a bit of patch on there say get the fuck out of there um and and i've met some very good people uh recently and yeah and also i think it also depends on people's circumstances so a lot of people love you a lot here um if you know it or not <laughs> and it's also the situation of there's some people who don't have a lot of people liking them so the people yeah. who do like them they don't have the same option and i wouldn't say i'm lonely um i definitely do have people who value me but Nowhere near to the extent you'd have. So I think it's a bit, it is a bit different um, in that sense. 
and like the circles I've moved in is very different from so I think that's the point no, so I do think yeah mm. you definitely benefit from moving in some more affirming circles yeah definitely so it's, yeah um, and the uh, yeah so the other thing I'll um, uh, <laughs> well, my new year's resolution is similar to you is to fall in love because um, I've been very open on this relationship um, relationship this podcast um, I've spoken a lot about it before but yeah I'll, same with you I want to find someone um, and uh, it's, yeah it's difficult to pinpoint that and I have way less experience than you do in that <laughs> little to none uh, so it's, it's difficult navigating in that but I think one thing I think about a lot is kind of more of a traditional approach like when I think about you know people who go to work or whatever they come home to someone they truly love I think that's a really beautiful thing um, and I think having that and sharing uh, your life and what you want to do with someone is great one thing for me is I feel like you know, I treat people. I'd like to think I treat people well. Whatever, I get very freaked out when people say they got annoyed at something. Like the other day, shout out to I know if you're listening. <laughs> but um, she, we were in the TV. <laughs> she's if she's listening, she'd be crying. Um, we were in the TV room, and she said, in just in a friendship way, like I love you or you're great, and I said, oh, I appreciate you. But I, I should have said, you know, oh, I love you, you're great as well. But I didn't because <laughs> I felt I'm very awkward. You know I me, mean? I'm awkward like that. I'm sh- I can't take compliments and stuff. And, and then sh- she made a joke, oh, that makes you feel shit. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I got horrendous. I had sleepless nights actually. About um, so like, I think a big thing is appreciating people around you. Um, so that's one thing for New Year's. I definitely want to appreciate good people around me. And... Yeah, I'll, like I want to put myself out there more. I feel like I'm too in a cocoon. I'm too in a shell. Um, I need to push myself more, uh, both physically and mentally. I want to stick, like physically, I really want to improve myself um, and like wake up every day, trying to make the most of every day. Um, and most importantly, be grateful, <laughs> as corny as it sounds. Um, and it's one thing this year, I think, and I spoke about it in the podcast I recorded the night before my birthday. I actually got, almost got stranded in London because I almost missed my train back. Stay, and I got back at midnight because I was recording there. And that was, I, I'd never went through it more in my life. But in that episode, I spoke about it, you know, again, simplest things you can do, help someone, most basic shit. And that's one thing I'm doing this fucking podcast for because... Like I've literally had encounters with people who've tried to impress me to be kind, and that's what it's about. If I can curate a culture in with cert, with groups of people who literally want to be kind, I think that's what it's about. Because I see people who you know move in the same spaces as me in right wing circles, in libertarian circles. It's all about the individual, and while I absolutely love that, I'm all about that. You got to remember, you know, gratitude, kindness. Not a lot of people talk about it. And if I could make it fashionable in the circles I'm in mm. to do that, I think that'd be the greatest achievement in history. And that's why I'm fucking doing a film. Wait, you think? It'd be no, the right? Yeah, well, obviously I was being hyperbolic. Bloody well, that's hell! Never obvious to you. Yeah, of course. Um, and that's why I'm doing the famous film Little Things, which will be premiering this year as soon as I get my camera getting on it. It's going to be a banger. Stay tuned. Follow me on Instagram at Trig Podcast. But it's been an absolute. Wait, bo- but have you have you considered making any documentaries about you know your local? 
local football sides on there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lovely side AC Chelsea V Inter. Yeah, I'll be doing a mockumentary. Go to RoryVisuals.com if you want to see my content. And also, I'm going to be doing a documentary also this year about suicide. It's going to be fucking sad as fuck. But there's a lot of people I know who, you know, they're s- like, like their sisters killed themselves or whatever. And there's a lot of people I know who have been so happy and in their lives there's been people who've you know taken their own life and and you know there's been a lot of fucked up things known people personally friends of friends you know um jumping in front of trains horrendous stuff um and i think just having a very intense documentary really depicting the pain and suffering that's out there could make a big difference and also just I mean, I would need to be careful because I know uh, suicides are contagious, but I'm I'm fucking waffling here. But just stay tuned, RoyVisuals.com. Um, but yeah, P- Peter, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at my Twitter handle, which I, I, th- I think it's Peter underscore seven. Let me double check that. No, so Peter with a capital P underscore Jacobs with a capital J seven. Um, people can also find me at my medium. Um, let me just get the address. Yeah, my medium blog account. It's not. It's not super active, but I'm. I'm mean to hop back on. Uh, it's yeah. It's called medium.com at Peter Robert Jacobs. Also, feel free to email me Peter Robert Jacobs at iCloud.com. And, um, Who the fuck is iCloud these days? <laughs> well, all the best with your 2023, whoever's listening. Yeah, same here. You know, contact me if you want to meet up, if you want to come to live events, you want to come to the show, you want to make an impact, message me at the Radical Kings Gentleman at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at Rape Podcast or you can follow me at my personal Instagram at Rory Jacobs. But we're actually going to be doing the giveaway now. <laughs> So this is going to be interesting. I haven't actually put the names in, but the way we're going to do it is by the way we're actually going to do it is, yeah, is um and here's a generator. Right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Right, so can we get a drum roll, please? Ooh. Oh fuck it, now he's going to be, he's going to be, he's going Rhiannon, fair play, Rhiannon. Congratulations, you just won 150 quid. Come Great. on. Well, thank you for entering. I appreciate you. But anyway, again, thanks thanks so much, Justin. Really do appreciate you. Any last words, Peter? Um, yeah, I, I think it was a transparent uh, voting process. The, the voting machines were checked thoroughly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, no, ch- no chance of a big lie. No chance of a big lie here. All right, thanks for listening in a bit. Oh, Thursday, uh, 6 o'clock next week. In a bit.